Good morning. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up uh, to where we're going to be today, we're going to be in Genesis chapters 5 and 6. As we continue in our series, Who Says? Uh, We've called that life's persistent question because that's something that just comes up again and again. What we're really talking about there in that question, Who Says, is um, when you're dealing with issues of right and wrong, when you're dealing with issues of good and bad, um, who gets to say? Who gets to decide? A lot of confusion in our world about that, and that is an issue that comes up a lot, whether we always think it through or not. And the reason we're in Genesis is because Genesis answers really the questions you have to answer first before you get to the question, uh, says who, because... um, in order to, to really think about what ought to be done, you have to answer questions like, well, who are we anyway? Why are we here? Why do we exist? And Genesis has the answers to those questions and um, tells us why we are the way we are. Do you ever wonder that? You know, people can be so amazing. Just so amazing. You know, we heard a lot of wonderful things about moms today, and moms are amazing. Uh, people can just be so creative, so skillful, so brilliant, so loving, so generous. It is just amazing. And why is it that we can be that way? Well, because God created us in His image. That's the Genesis answer. God made us like Him, and God is all of those things. And then you turn around and you realize people can also be so horrible. Just so horrible. So selfish so foolish, so deceptive, so cruel. Why is that? Well, the Genesis answer is because we try to be like God in a different way. We take upon ourselves to decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And instead of trusting God to define what's good, and um, as we've seen, um, that's made a mess of things. That's why we are the way we are. It's why the world is the way it is. It's the reason we die. It's the reason the world is broken, so full of suffering. It's the reason I spent most of the week in bed sick because the world is messed up. God created this world good and blessed us, but we rejected Him and we brought death upon ourselves. That's about as far as we've gotten in the story so far, and uh, to this point, it sounds pretty much like a grim tragedy. God gave us life, we chose death. Looks like man has messed up God's plan. But you know, if that were true, Genesis would be a much shorter book, you know? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created man in his image, male and female. Man disobeyed. Man died. End of story. It's not the end of the story. What we're going to see is that God's plan is far greater than anything we could mess up. So we're going to begin to see now a glimmer of hope in the midst of this miserable situation man has got himself into. It is the hope of finding life in the midst of death. Uh, And we need that hope. You need that hope. Because we're dying. We're dying. The world needs this hope. People look at this world all the time and ask, 
<laughs> is there any hope? Is there any hope? And the answer is yes. Says who? Says who? God. God says. And he tells us right here. We're going to start reading in Genesis 5, and if you opened up your Bible and looked at it, you might have thought, what in the world? Uh, Because Genesis 5 is a genealogy. It's one of those parts that when you get to it in the Bible, you tend to want to get past it real quick. And you might be thinking, how in the world are we going to find hope in a genealogy? How are we going to find life here? Genealogies are boring. (laughs) They are. They're important, they have their important information, but they're boring. You realize some of the most important documents in the world are boring? But they contain vital information. Uh, And actually, this genealogy, this one says something amazing we really need to see. So, I want you to follow along, we're going to pick it up in uh, Genesis 5, beginning at verse 1. Buckle up, here we go. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 900 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered (laughs) Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel, 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When that guy had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. That guy lived after he fathered Jared, 830 years, he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of that guy were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. <laughs> Let's pause. How are we doing? I want you to notice something. Notice this list starts with life. It starts with life. God creates man, male and female, in his image. He blesses them. That's how it starts. But then we are reminded of what happened as we read the words. And did you hear them? As they came up again and again and again. And he died. And he died. And he died. I think we just need to let those words kind of sink in. Because one day they will be written about us. And he died. And she died. But here's the question. Why does it say that? Why does it say that? You realize it's not necessary? I mean, the genealogy tells us how many years each one of them lived. So if we know how many years they lived, we don't have to be told, and they died. It's evident. So this seems redundant. Why does the author say it? Well, he's established a pattern here. 
and he's setting us up for something. Notice the pattern. When so-and-so lived X number of years, he fathered what's-his-name. So-and-so lived after he fathered what's-his-name, Y number of years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of so-and-so were X plus Y number of years, and he died. That's the pattern, right? We've seen it again and again and again. Now, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You see what's different? Do you see it? Two differences. First, it does not say that after Enoch fathered Methuselah, he lived for 300 years. It says he walked with God for 300 years. And second difference, it doesn't end by saying, and he died. It says Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. (laughs) What does that mean? Is there a lesson here? Okay, hold that thought. Let's read about one more person in the family tree here. <clears throat> the pattern resumes that we've seen. It goes down to the end of verse 32, where we come to a man named Noah. You've probably heard of him. And we're going to skip ahead to chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And this is the beginning of the account of the great flood that God brought upon the earth as judgment for man's sin. And there are lots of different things we could talk about. But what I want you to see is the connection between Enoch and Noah. Because there's a big lesson here. What do Noah and Enoch have in common? Two things. They both walked with God. That's what's said of them. They're both described as walking with God. And they both experienced life in the midst of death. That's not a coincidence. That is a deliberate effort of the author of Genesis to teach us a lesson. In the midst of what seems to be a grim tragedy, he wants us to get this point. Here it is. In a world broken and dying and cursed 
because of our sin, God gives life to those who walk with Him. God gives life. God invites us to walk with Him and experience life instead of death. I love this. I love this, not only because it's true, but because it shows us that the, the message that we share as Christians, the message, the Christian gospel, the main uh, offer of life, this goes all the way back to the beginning. You know, last year, some of you may remember, we did a series called... Um, Walk with Christ from the New Testament book of Colossians. Anybody remember that? Okay, two of you, that's great. (laughs) But it was called Walk with Christ because that's one of the main things that, that that idea comes up again and again and again in the book. And you might think, well, okay, Colossians, that's a New Testament book. And so this idea of walking with Christ, daily life, walking with God, well, that's a New Testament idea, but it's not. It's not. This goes all the way back. This goes back to Genesis. It's a consistent message from Genesis to Revelation that God gives life to people who deserve death. If they will trust Him, if they will respond to Him, if they will walk with Him. See, this isn't plan B. Yeah, I used to have that thought growing up, you know, that kind of the Christian message was plan B after plan A didn't work out. God had plan A and, you know, He tried plan A and then we messed it up. And so God had to keep, you know, trying, and finally, after a couple thousand years, sent Jesus and, you know, fixed it. No. We're still on plan A. This is plan A. This plan comes to fulfillment in Christ because Christ is the one who makes it possible for God to give life to those who deserve death. That's the thing. Everybody who lived before Christ... And everybody who lives after Christ, it's Jesus Christ through his death on the cross, purchasing life for those who deserve death, purchasing pardon for those who deserve condemnation. Christ is the fulfillment of the plan, whether you live before his coming or after his coming. But it's the same plan. God gives life to those who respond to his invitation in faith to respond to Him, to walk with Him. So, if that's the point, obviously we need to know what it means to walk with God. And I don't think it's difficult to understand because walking with somebody is that's a pretty common experience. And there are two, there are two main ideas wrapped up in walking with someone. And, and uh, and this is just something we need to grasp because what's at stake here? Well, well, life. Life's at stake. Okay? Two ideas. When we walk with somebody, two things are always true. 
We're walking with a certain person, and we're walking in a certain direction. That's always true when you walk with somebody. You walk with a person, and you walk in a certain direction. Certain person, certain direction. My wife Karen and I like to walk. So if I go to her and I say, would you like to walk? I'm inviting her to do two things. I'm inviting her to be with me, and I'm inviting her to go where I'm going. See how that works? Now, if she doesn't want to be with me, which is utterly inconceivable, (laughs) but if she doesn't, then she's not going to want to walk with me because walking with me, walking together means being together. It also means being with the dog, but that's beside the point. And then... When we come down to the end of our street, you either go left or you go right. Now, if I go left and she goes right, we may both still be walking, but we're no longer walking together. Hey, make sense? Walking with someone means being together and going in the same direction. Amos 3.3, look at this, it's right in the Bible. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? No, they don't. To agree with somebody, to walk with somebody, if you agree to walk together, then you agree to be with them and you agree to go where they're going. Right? We all got that? That's pretty obvious. This is true every time we walk with someone. Okay, so now let's apply that to walking with God. Okay, walking with God means two things. First, it means being with Him, being with the person of God. To walk with God starts with being with God, His person, knowing God as a person, having a relationship with Him as a person, interacting with Him as one person interacts with another person, loving Him as a person. There's all these different ways you can say it, and uh, there are many different ways the Bible says it, but this this is essential to experiencing life. Being with God. In fact, Jesus said that knowing God is the very meaning. This is is what eternal life is, he said. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Look at that. This is eternal life, that they may know you. That's not just information. That's knowing, personal God wants you to know Him. God wants you to know Him. It's amazing. And so if you've gotten the wrong idea about the Christian message, you know, if you think that what it's all about here is about, you know, going to church, reading the Bible, singing some songs, praying, trying your hardest to to do the best you can, to do the right things so that you can become a better and better person and you can thereby gain God's approval. You can win God's approval. If that's what you think it is, you're mistaken. It's not it. That's not it. In fact, one of the best ways we could just explain what it means is it's about walking with God. It's about walking with God. It's about being with God. 
When Jesus was born, you might remember this verse from the Christmas story. Thank you. Matthew one twenty two. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Oh, you see this theme all through the Bible. It starts, you know, what was this, this garden God created, Eden? He put the man and the woman there. And it says and in the evening, He came to walk with them. This, this beautiful picture of being with God. And then that gets broken and, and, and uh, humanity gets expelled from the garden because of sin. And then you just see God then institute this, uh, this amazing plan to restore that which has been lost, this being with God and uh, all that unfolds. And we're going we're gonna to go through, begin to see that plan unfold as we go through. And it's come to fulfillment now in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the way to know God. Jesus is the way to know God. You, you can't achieve, like I, I was talking about earlier, and this idea of thinking it's all about the Christian message about somehow achieving God's approval. You can't do it. And if you're trying, you're, you're either frustrated or you're deluded. Because it's not going to happen. You can't achieve God's approval ever. All we can do is receive it. Us receive His approval that He... He offers to us in the person of His Son who died for us. Full approval. Can you imagine it? You don't have to imagine it. You can have it. You can know that God accepts you completely 100% because of His Son. You can't achieve it. You can only receive it as a free gift. Jesus died to purchase it for us. That's where it starts. Being with God, His person. The other thing that walking with God means then is not only being with the person of God, but being on the path of God. That was the other part of walking. Remember, not just being with the person, but going where that person's going. So God's path. And one of the main lessons we've seen so far in Genesis is that there really is such a thing as good and there really is such a thing as evil. And God is the one who decides which is which. This is where we get our fundamental answer to the question, says who? When something lines up with God's intentions, it's good. When something doesn't line up with God's intentions, it's not good. If you're going to walk with God, that means going the way God, God's way, His direction. In other words, walking with God means choosing the good as He defines it. Oh man, we have so much trouble with this. We have so much trouble with this. We just keep wanting to define it for ourselves. God says, this is good. This is the path. Walk here and we go, you know, I've got a better idea. <laughs> we never do. This is what the Apostle John is talking about. Walking God's path. Now, you know, a simple way to put it is called obedience. God says, do it this way, okay? 
1 John 2, 4. Look at this. The man who says, I know him, okay? I know Christ. Yeah, I, I, I have a relationship with God through Christ. But does not do what he commands is a liar. John wasn't one to uh, beat around the bush. If you say you know him, but you don't obey him, you're a liar. And the truth is not in him, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Now look at this. This is how we know we are in him. In him. That's that, that's that relationship. That's that uh, connection. That's that being with him, in him, in relationship with him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now notice, doing what he commands is how we know we're in him. It doesn't say doing what he commands is how we become in him. That's a very important distinction. We don't achieve a relationship with God by by doing what he says. We know we're in a relationship with him by doing what he says. In other words, the relationship is primary. It comes first. Uh, I sometimes describe it as, you know, obedience is like the fruit on a tree. It's not the root. The root, the life, that's, the Bible describes that, that's faith. That's responding to God, trusting Him, receiving His, his, uh, His offer of love and life in Christ. Faith is the root. Obedience is the fruit. Okay, And so the point here is that to walk God's path shows that we trust Him and that we are living a life of obedience. You know, if, I, if, if I'm supposed to lead a group of people and I say, okay, everybody, follow me, here we go, and nobody follows me, I could, I could basically say, well, the problem here is one of their performance their performance is the problem. They're not following me. You know what? The problem is really not a performance problem. It's a trust problem. They're not following me because they don't trust me. And that's how it is with God. When we don't follow God, it's not mainly a problem of our performance. Now, our performance is a problem, but that's not the main problem. The main problem is a trust problem. Remember Enoch? Enoch? This is what Hebrews 11, 5 through 6 says about him. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There it is. Enoch trusted God, and then he he walked with God. He was with him as a person, with the person, and on his path. So the, the question this all boils down to for all of us, it's the same question for each one of us, are you walking with him? Are you walking with him? I think that's... Personally, I think that's a much more helpful question than asking, am I doing everything God wants me to do? See, because if I ask the question that way, that so easily gets twisted around in my head 
to this big long list of to-dos. Am I doing this that God wants me to do? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? And that ends up inevitably getting me thinking about my performance. My performance is the thing. My performance is the thing. But instead, by asking, am I walking with God, that gets my focus on the right thing. With Him as a person walking on His path. Walking on His path not to impress Him, not to earn His approval, but because I have it. Because He gives it to me freely. So that's, that's just the question I'll leave you with today. I'll leave it with me. Have we said yes to Christ's gracious invitation to walk with Him and to follow Him? Here's John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He's not saying, get it all figured out, get it all straightened out, and then maybe we'll see about you. Uh, He says, no, just follow me. Follow me out of the darkness into the light. Let's pray together. Lord, some of these uh, things that we read, they just seem so simple. Walking with you isn't hard because it's beyond our capacity to do it. It's hard because so many times reluctant to follow. Lord, will you increase our faith? And Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not begun the journey and not taken that first step of saying yes to Jesus and receiving that gift, Lord, I'm so thankful that you invite them today, invite all of us to say yes, to receive what you offer as a free gift and to follow. Help us with that. Help us trust you and follow you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.